What up, everyone? Welcome to the Logical Podcast, where we review, recap, and break down everything in movies and TV series. If it's your first time here, welcome to the podcast. Warm welcome to you. And if you're a regular listener, thank you for showing up and continuing to show your support. We really do appreciate it here at Logical. My name is River, and I'm the resident host of the Logical Podcast. And today, I'm going to be reviewing on my own because I don't have anybody that likes to see these kinds of movies, even though I did see this with a, a friend who eventually, um, uh, who I eventually found to go see this movie. Um, my so-called movie friends, <laughs> my so-called movie friends uh, don't like to see horror films. Um, and this is what I'm here to do today, is I'm here to bring you my review and my breakdown on the latest horror film, Smile. A Smile is uh, directed by a new director. This is his debut film. Uh, his name is Parker Finn. He is also the writer and the only writer for this film. Uh, music is done by a guy called Christabel Tapia de Vere. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, the reason why I bring up the music um, composer, sometimes I bring it up, sometimes I don't. Um, but I'm bringing him up for this reason because he did a phenomenal job at scoring this film. A lot of this film has got to do with primarily uh, sound effects and the sound design is is quite astonishing and it's quite impressive. I'll get into that uh, in my review. Um, this movie's got a ton of actors that I don't know. Um, there's only one actor that I do recognize and I think his name is Joel or I think he plays the character Joel. Um, Played by a guy called Kyle Gowner. Yeah, it is Kyle Gowner. Yeah, I just looked him up. Um, but let me start from the top of the list. Let me start from the top of the uh, main cast. So we've got Saucy Bacon, who plays a character called Rose Cotter, who's our main um, character that we follow on this crazy, crazy um, evil journey. Uh, then we've got a guy called Jesse Usher, who people might be familiar with if they see the TV series Boys. Um, he plays a character called Trevor, who is the husband of... Oh, I think he's the fiance. Yeah, I think he's the fiance of uh, Rose Cotter. We got a character called Joel, played by Kyle Gowner. We got a character called Dr. Madeline Northcott, played by Robin Waygert, who plays a pretty instrumental role in being the uh, psychiatrist or the psychologist for Rose Cotter. Uh, then we have Caitlin Stassi, play, playing a character called Laura Weaver. Cal Penn, playing. Dr. Morgan Desai, Robin, or Rob Morgan playing Robert Talley, Gillian Zinsa playing Holly, that's the sister of Rose Cotter, uh, Judy Reyes playing Victoria Munez, Munoz, uh, Jake Schotter playing Carl Rinken, Nick Arapoglo playing Greg, Perry Strong playing Detective Buckley, Matthew Lamb playing Jackson, and Dora Kiss playing the mom. Uh, this movie has a runtime of one hour and 55 minutes, shy of two hours. However, it did feel a little longer than two hours, and I'm not really sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'll get that into the review. I'll get into that once I go through the review. Uh, with a budget of $17 million, this movie has currently gone on to make 22.6 worldwide. That's 22.6 million worldwide as of today's recording, which is the 9th of October. And this movie was released on the 30th of September, so it's actually doing quite well, coming into an 
coming into its sort of second, almost third week of release, 22.6 million worldwide is actually quite good for a horror film, to be honest, especially with a budget of 17 million. Um, the the current Rotten Tomatoes score for the critics is 78%, and the audience review um, Tomatoes score is 79%, so it's, it's doing pretty well. Um, I'd have to actually really agree with that Rotten Tomatoes score, and that's actually quite rare to see with a lot of horror films. Usually the horror films, um, they're, they're always on the blunt end of harsh criticisms from both critics and audience. I'd say critics more so than audience, but um, yeah, the horror films don't usually do well um, against critics, uh, but this one's doing really, really well. I mean, of, of course, it's only in its third, almost third week. Um, there's still more reviews to come out, but this is a this is a shining example, and this is a, a very, very good uh, good track record so far. The critic consensus at the moment, from according to Rotten Tomatoes. Deeply creepy visuals and a standout saucy bacon further elevate Smile's unsettling exploration of a trauma, adding up to the rare feature that satisfyingly expands on a short. Uh, the audience consensus is, you may need to pay, pay close attention in order to keep up with the story, but fans of slow-burning horror should leave Smile with a grin. They uh, missed an opportunity there. They should have said, should leave the cinemas with a smile. <laughs> That's kind of cheesy. <coughs> um, so Smile is about, after, a, uh, let me just talk a little bit about synopsis and then we'll get into my first impressions of the film. Uh, so Smile is about, after witnessing a bizarre traumatic incident involving a patient, Dr. Rose Cotter, a.k.a. Saucy Bacon, starts experiencing frightening occurrences that she can't explain. As an overwhelming terror begins taking over her life, Rose must confront her troubling past in order to survive and escape her horrifying new reality. So, uh, overall, like the movie is really about this evil spirit, this evil um, uh, presence that is seems to be taking the form of um, well, it's, it's, it's taking over people, it's possessing people and manifesting its, its self by, um, expressing, or I should say expressing itself, uh, through a smile, but like a super creepy smile. Um, you'll be familiar with what that is if you've seen the trailers. The trailers have been kind of creepy. They've been interesting and intriguing to say the least. Um, I wanted to see it because it was intriguing. It looked like a kind of an original concept um but then upon investigation it's not an entirely uh original concept because there, i think there's a movie a horror film called oh, was it called uh, i actually can't remember what it's called but chris duckman famous youtube movie reviewer speaks about this uh similar film where they all smile before they commit suicide so i think um, smiling and committing suicide as a concept has has been done before, but then Chris Duckman also said that this is a very different film and it and it achieves what it sets out to achieve much better than that other film that it was trying to describe that has similarities. Um, so yeah, let me get into some um, key highlights for the film. 
can probably hear me opening a can of craft beer. Cheers, everyone. If you're drinking beer, cheers to you. Saluda. I'm drinking a delicious, delicious IPA from Garage Project. So thank you, Garage Project, if anyone from Garage Project is listening to this podcast. I'm not endorsing this. I'm not <laughs> this is not a sponsorship thing. Um, I'm a big fan of their beers and smells and probably tastes great. And it does taste very, very good. All right, so some key highlights for the smile. The, the biggest highlight for me is the sound design. The sound design is super impressive. It takes sharp corners. It's, it's really loud when it needs to be. Um, so loud to a point where it's, it behaves like a transitional piece. It's sort of, it, it, it does have a role of transitioning scenes, which is pretty interesting. Um, normally when you see good transitions, well, maybe not a good transition, but transitions within horror films, it's usually, um, just clever and smart editing in the editing process. Or in this case, they use a lot of the sound design in, um, to transition scenes. Some of the sounds that they use to, to do that is really kind of heavy basses, you know, kind of the rumbling of, uh, the cinema or the rumbling of the speakers, that kind of scary, um, getting under your skin type bass sound effects. Um, and then there's all these other sorts of sound effects, such as um, loud screeching, almost like uh, a needle being, uh, how do I describe this? Like a needle being scratched along a chalkboard. There's a, a few of those kind of sounds. And, you know, these sounds are like super loud. They're, they're so... Um, uncomfortable. They're so unnerving, unnerving, and um, they really put you in a disturbing place. And I guess that's the purpose of the sound design for this. So the sound design plays a huge role, almost like a character in and of itself in the film. And it's super impressive, really, really impressive. So that's a key highlight for me. Another key highlight is Saucy Bacon. Um, I've never seen her before. Uh, I guess, like I said before, I've never really seen any of these characters other than um, Kyle Gauner. Um, how I know Kyle Gauner, who plays Joel, he plays Flash in the Smallville TV series. So that's that's kind of how I know that guy. <laughs> um, but everyone else, no, all brand new to me. Oh, I mean, I guess Jesse Archer. I've seen him in The Boys. Um, he plays A-Track, or I think it's A-Track, the character, the speedy character in um, The Boys. But Saucy Bacon being the main character of this film, her performance is, it's its definitely one of the biggest wins for this movie. She really sells it. She's going for an Oscar winning performance here. I mean, it horror films never get acknowledged by the Oscars. And not that I really care about Oscars these days. Um, it's more just a, uh, genuine, a genuine expression about how good someone can be. In their craft and saucy bacon really sells his performance so she's she anchors the film quite well um really really good performance from her that's a good highlight another good highlight is um all the characters that are contributing to the story contributing to saucy saucy bacon's story um they all do really really well they play their part nobody's kind of overshadowing anybody no one's like overperforming um saucy bacon and nobody's underperforming. They're all doing their, 
their part and they're contributing to a, a growing story and the story really grows quite well. It kind of leads me into the to another key highlight is that the story moves at a at a very decent pace, at a pace that pays off by the time we get to the end of it. Um, it it doesn't have a perfect streak for a good pacing. I, I did think that by the time we get to the end, um, the final act, it does get quite clunky. It does it does get a little bit uh, chunky, and there are points where they should have trimmed it a little bit. Um, they do sort of lose a little bit of momentum and the great pacing they had throughout the entire film. And the film is a slow burn, and slow burn is hard to actually get good pacing because slow burn can sort of suffer from slow storytelling obviously that's all slow burns are but they can suffer from just um over expositionary dialogue where the dialogue seems like they're filling the scenes as opposed to they're telling or contributing to a growing story so uh, i don't think the film had any of those problems where they were kind of dragging the feet um dragging the feet in the sand so to speak for um, such a slow burn film. It was a slow burn film that built intrigue, it built dynamic um, suspense. It really did. So that's a key highlight. Um, what are some key lowlights? Key lowlights is there's not a lot, which is a good mark, which is a mark of a good film. Um, not a lot of lowlights. Look, if, if there is a lowlight, the thing that I'm thinking about right now, and this is immediately what I thought about outside of the, um, after the screening, I said this to Danny, my friend that came along with me, um, <laughs> I, I, I said to her, I was really petrified watching this movie, <laughs> I was super scared, I've never actually been that scared in a film, it really got to me, and that can be sort of notified, that, that can be acknowledged as a low light, I, it's not a low light, but... Um, it put me in a state of stress and anxiety. It was pretty intense. The movie is very, very intense. The, the themes that they introduce in this, the, um, the jump scares, the visuals, they're all really uncomfortable stuff. And they, the, the director manages to keep you in the state of fear and anxiety and stress throughout the entire film. That is really hard to do for a horror film. You know, even some of the best horror films that, I'm, that I can think about, uh, one of my favorite horror movies in the last, like, 15, 10, 15 years is James Wan's The Conjuring. The Conjuring is a great film. It's a great um, great film for for its writing, its directing, its suspense, its jump scares, its frights, all that kind of stuff. I love what James Wan done with that. But it doesn't keep you in a state of anxiety and stress. <laughs> Um, he manages to keep you interested and engaged, but he still manages to have levity throughout the film. You know, you can still have fun, you can still laugh a little bit. There, are, there is some co comedic levity to some degree, whereas with Smile, there is no levity whatsoever. So this is a, this is a key warning for anybody who's going to watch Smile. If you're going to go watch Smile, expect to be frightened, expect to be scared and expect to be stressed throughout the whole time if you're lighthearted, um this is uh, you know this is not for the faint-hearted 
if you are very sensitive to jump scares and sensitive to like stressful environments that are all evil and evil spirits induced, don't go see this film. I do not recommend it for anybody that is really um, sensitive and <laughs> faint-hearted. Do not go see this film. It's very, very, it's a, it's a very hard watch. Um, performances are great. Direction is great. And so I cannot wait to get into the recap because I highly rate and I highly recommend this film. And I'll get more into that recommendation once I get to the rating. So, let me just um, bring up this cool little transition. There was a bit of a pause there. Maybe that's the evil spirit smile. Here's another evil spirit smile transition. <laughs> um, so, let's get into the recap. If it's your first time here, um, basically a recap is I go through the classic structure of a film, which is broken up into three acts act one act two act three um i go through the plot in some kind of detail I talk a little bit about what works in the in in aspects of this aspects of the plot what doesn't work things might remind me of what i really enjoy things might remind me of the things that i didn't really enjoy and there might be some things that pop up that i um that i wasn't quite sure at the time or maybe you didn't even think about at the time um, but then can share my opinion and my thoughts on that. And that's the whole purpose of doing a recap. So let's get into the recap. And also, if, it, if this wasn't obvious from the beginning, this is a full-on spoiler review. Okay? All right. Let's get into this. So we open up with the at the psychiat psychiatric ward. Uh, psychiatrist Dr. Rose Cotter meets recently admitted patient Laura Weaver, a PhD student who witnessed her professor die by suicide. She claims to be the only one to see an entity that pretends to be other people smiling at her. Laura has a panic attack and convulses. As Rose calls for help, Laura smiles at her before cutting her own throat with a shard broken vase. Now, this is a powerful opening. Um... And the director, Parker Finn, he puts everything into the scene. There's a lot of energy. There's a lot of outstanding performances from both parts. You know, this, this girl that we meet, patient Laura Weaver, she is petrified. She is scared. Like, it's like she's seen... Hmm. <laughs> it's like, she, I was going to say, it's like she's seen death for the first time. Um, um, but I'm trying to think of like what's the scariest expression I could use to describe this. Anyway, anyway she was <laughs> she was petrified and she was completely out of herself. She couldn't like the way she portrayed it in her face and her character was just so believable. I was like, damn, this uh, this this girl is putting in some acting chops right here. And it's it's always I think it's always quite difficult for actors to put themselves put themselves in the state. The state of like disbelief, um, suspension of disbelief, but also the state of stress and and fear. Like it's really hard to fake fear and stress at that level. You know, it's it's so believable. So <laughs> my hats off to her. And this is um, this is the first time we hear these great the great use of sound effects and sound design. Um, so really well directed. You notice that there is some extreme bizarre um, focus 
pull, not focus pull, but extreme close-ups of the characters in this particular scene where they're, they're sitting facing each other face-to-face. And, um, you know, there's, there's kind of a bizarre frame to it. It's intentional because they're trying to they're trying to give you this impression that this isn't quite normal, or at least that's the way I was just um, experiencing the scene. It didn't seem quite normal. The outside of the focus, so you know, let's say the camera is directly on her face, quite an extreme close-up, but the outside of the lens is quite blurred out, so there's, there's a, an intense focus pull to draw you into, I guess, the character's eyes, and... Parkerfin manages to do that with both characters. So it kind of cuts between the two of them with the exact same focus pull and the exact same um, camera uh, camera camera positioning and the extreme close-up. It's quite intense and it and it really it really pulls you into that scene. And it's a great way to introduce such a film, especially with whatever is going to be set out for the rest of the film. It's quite crazy. Um so yeah, great, great opening scene. And the way she commits suicide, it's it's very slow. Um, I actually didn't even know that was a piece of the vase. When she was cutting herself, I didn't realize that was a piece of the vase. I just thought it was some random plastic thing she found on the ground. But of course, like the vase breaks as a result of um, all sorts of like stressful turmoil like around them. They, they, they both characters jump up, you know, they sort of get frightened. They bump certain things. And I guess um, it might have been Rosie. Oh, Rose Cutter, who bumped the vase and it broke and shatters, I guess. She picks up, She picks that up. The way she stands there, so, you know, we, we go from this point of her being, um, it looks like she's being attacked by something, but you can't see it. It's all invisible. You assume that this is the evil entity that is called Smile. Um, she gets completely attacked and hats off to her and whoever choreographed this scene because it really looked like she was being attacked by somebody, but... You know, maybe maybe she was being attacked by somebody in real time filming, and then they just edited that person out. That person might have been wearing a green suit or something to be um, erased out through visual effects or something. I don't know, but it looks so damn believable. She be, she gets pulled back into the wall, and she's kind of suffocating. She eventually tries to grab onto her last breath, and then loses her breath. We cut back to Rose, and she's on the phone trying to call for help. And when she turns around. And the only reason why she turns around is because um, it goes all quiet and she sees Laura standing there with a big smile and a creepy ass big smile. Like, how do you pull off creepy smiles like that? Can I pull off a creepy smile like that? <laughs> Just try to do a creepy smile. Um, yeah, anyway, it was, it was creepy as and she grabs that shot of uh, that shot that comes out of the vase and goes to slowly cut her throat from the left side of her ear all the way under her chin, blood's dripping like crazy, and then she just dies. But she dies still with that smile on her face. It's kind of, ah, man, it's the kind of images that you don't want to ever see again. I think I'm going to be scarred for the rest of my life. All right, following the suicide, Rose witnesses a vulnerable patient named Carl smiling at her and shouting that she is going to die. All right, so this guy called Carl, he, he, he's actually the patient that opens up the scene initially. So what I read before was actually directly after this scene where she 
she has like uh, an appointment with um, one of her patients, Carl. Um, and, and I think the choice behind starting with that scene was to really establish Rose and how she deals with patients and establish a little bit about her temperament and potentially her... Um, hmm. I was going to say potentially what she had been gone, what she had gone through in her past, and how her trauma is surfacing a little bit. But I don't think that's the case. I think it's more about how she treats her patients and um, the kind of temperament, um, kind of let's say balanced life that she has so far. And I think it's important to have that at the beginning so that we establish where she is currently, where she's eventually going to fall in the entire film. And then how she's going to creep out of that. Now, that's how a classic good arc or a character arc is um, established throughout a film. Um, so, yeah, we, we jump back to Carl again, but he's in his own room and he's smiling at her and shouting that she is going to die. Like, he, he, he says it in a way that's it's kind of like a, a, like, you know, like a prompt, like a, not a prompt, but what am I, like a voice prompt in a game. You know, where it's like, it's a terrible, terrible example. But he he basically shouts, you're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. You're going to die. And he's saying it with like this big smiling grin. When she orders for Carl to be restrained, Rose suddenly sees that Carl had been asleep the entire time. So this is the first, oh man, I'm getting creeped. I'm getting like chills talking about this. <laughs> My God, I might need to watch a animated Pixar film after this. Good thing I'm drinking a beer right now. Um, yeah, um, she realizes that he had been asleep the whole time when she calls for a restraint against her, and this is the first piece of evidence that she's haunted by something now. And this all comes from the fact that she witnessed a suicide from the spirit smile. And now she has been latched with the spirit smile, which is crazy intense. Crazy, crazy intense. And all, all the while, everything is like really well filmed. Great. Great use of photography. Great use of color. Great use of uh, camera work. The camera work actually is quite impressive in this too. Concerned for Rose's mental well-being, her supervisor, Dr. Morgan Desai, gives her a week-long break. The supernatural occurrences continue, harming Rose's relationships with her fiancé Trevor and her sister Holly. Now, let's jump into the second act. Rose has had a restrained... restrained... oh, sorry. Rose has had a stained... <laughs> Let me start again. Rose has had a strained relationship with her sister Holly ever since the death of her their abusive mother, who overdosed and whose body was discovered by a young Rose at her nephew's birthday party. Rose's gift Rose's gift is somehow replaced by her dead cat, which she had which she had disappeared the which had disappeared the night before. Rose encounters an attendant smiling at her, convincing her she is now cursed. Now so jumping into the second we've we've, we've kind of jumped across We've jumped over quite a few scenes, and um, it's kind of for the sake of time here. I don't really want to go on for too long, which is good that we ju jumped across some of these scenes. But it's important to note that even before we get to the second act part, 
um, Rose's character starts to intensely think about these situations of somewhat hallucinate, um, uh, hallucinations. Yeah, something to do with like hallucinations. She's she's seeing things. Things are happening to her. They don't seem to be real. Um, this is all really building into her um, eventual psychotic break where she's delusional, right? And at least that's how it appears to the rest of the world. But to her, it's a very very real. She use she uses a, a very specific term, and this is actually really good. It's a philosophical term called corporeal. Um, I was surprised to hear her say that, but it makes sense because she's a doctor, she's a psychiatrist, and she knows all these kind of terms, corporeal, which basically means like um, anything that is a thing that is real and that exists within reality. Um, yeah, so she <laughs> she kind of discovers these, she discovers all these different um, instances that are happening to her. There was a moment where she's standing in front of the fridge, she's so freaked out, she's so petrified by the whole um uh, suicide of Laura because you know it's it's hard enough to witness a suicide in front of you let alone a odd suicide that seemingly is to do with evil possessions like that'll be a lot to, to carry I can imagine can only imagine what she's kind of going through it's kind of intense and so she's having a lot of these deep thoughts about these situations and certain things start to slowly change and influence her day and her night and there's a there's a scene where she's standing in front of her her fridge she gets a she gets out a bottle of wine she tries to she tries to de-stress you know i can imagine you kind of need some alcohol in this situation <laughs> i mean i'll probably do the same thing she tries to de-stress and have a, has a glass of wine and she notices that there's something in the corner and kind of the dark hallway or something like that and she notices that there's a figure there that looks like that figure is smiling and it's, it's creepy as shit and obviously like this doesn't doesn't fold into something that we see because it quickly cuts to her husband who this is the first time we meet him um he shows up um and she she makes this kind of remark of i didn't hear you i didn't hear you come in and he come through the door which is probably the first piece of evidence now that i think about it it's probably the first piece of evidence that she notices that she is the when these things are happening to her she's not realizing the real world around her which is fascinating and super creepy. <laughs> all right, so uh, she's at this birthday party in the second act, and um, all all the while before we get to this birthday party, she's trying to look for her her cat. Her cat's called Mustache, and she can't find her cat. She's trying to feed her, can't find her. She's yelling out for Mustache. Jump to the birthday scene. She goes to wrap a gift for um, her nephew, and um, turns out the gift is the dead cat mustache and shit is like it shit just goes so left field here it, it goes so wild and chaotic it's uh it's freaking scary like the tension builds up so quick it ramps up from zero to a hundred because um this is also the score the brilliant musical score it it, it jumps in like a fright um the sound effects also jumps in all at the same time. It's it's all really chaotic. She goes to grab the cat and she's trying to tell everybody. She's trying to convince everybody in the room that this is this is not me. It's 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 the I, I don't know what she says. I think she says she tries to say it's like it's the it's the evil spirit or it's the devil or something like that. 
And, you know, clearly she's losing her mind in front of everybody and everybody's just seeing her as this mental nutcase who's put a dead cat as a gift and she's just going crazy trying to convince everybody that it was all the spirit or something. <laughs> it's, it's super stressful, this, this scene, like all the other scenes in this film. And it's, it's really intense. And like I said, the sound design works wonders in this scene. Um, she eventually... You know, sees one of the characters smile at her. Um, one of the, like, the... In this breakdown, it's described as the attendant, but it's, it's just one of the friends of Rose's sister. She's also, she's, like, now doing the smile at her, and she's trying to tell her to, like, F off and all that kind of stuff. And then she just goes into complete turmoil and chaos, and she falls backwards into the glass table and ends up um, getting all these cuts and... <laughs> <laughs> on her arms and it's it's pretty violent it is the one of the first times that you see quite a bit of blood and violence and stuff it's well actually no that's not true we've seen blood and violence from the uh, suicide in the beginning anyway this was intense and disturbing discovering that laura's professor was smiling at her during his death rose pays a a visit to his widow uh, Victoria, who claims that her husband started acting differently after witnessing a woman die by suicide. Rose visits her ex, ex Joel, a police detective who has responded to Laura's death. The two go through police records in multiple cases. Someone suffers supernatural hauntings before killing themselves while smiling before passing the hauntings onto a witness, causing a chain reaction. Joel discovers that None of the cursed victims last longer than a week, except Robert Talley, who was in prison for killing a stranger. Rose and Joel visit Talley under the pretense that a patient of Rose's, of Rose's has been cursed. Talley explains that the only way to break the chain is to kill someone else in front of a witness that the curse will transfer to. So this, this scene describes the fact that... Um, yeah, they've discovered a series of events where every single suicide and every single uh, death or, yeah, every single death and killing has been the result of this chain reaction that seems to be happening from this from these spirit killings or spirit hauntings, whatever you want to call them. Um, and they all sort of result in the uh, victim slash suspect they're mostly a victim, but they become a suspect because of any of the actions that they um, perform before they kill themselves. But yeah, they kill themselves um, while smiling, and so there seems to be a history of this. And I think we get up to like 19 of them. can't remember exactly how many, but they sort of trace it back to about 19 or so or something like that. And they notice that there's one person that is... Um, that broke that chain, and that was a person called Robert Talley, who's in prison. And... Um, She's trying to go to him and ask, ask her, or ask him for some information, some evidence that could help this person that she is trying to help, which is actually, she's talking about herself, but she doesn't want to give up that it's herself. When she eventually gets, um, when Robert Talley eventually finds out that it's actually her, he goes crazy because, I mean, can you imagine, like, if you're trying to help out somebody else because they know somebody that's going through this same situation. You, of course, you'd want to help them out. But not if it's the person that you're talking to, <laughs> because you don't want to be the person that's going to go through the curse either. Um, and that's why he goes crazy and he gets kind of restrained and 
um, by the officers and he gets taken away and then she, they both kind of leave the scene. It's another good point of tension and another good sort of um, anchor in her character where she's, she's trying her best to figure out how to overcome this whole situation. So she's looking in all sorts of places, going to her ex, Joel, um, which she clearly has a history with a history of seems like bad relationship or a bad breakup. Joel seems to still have feelings for her. Um, she doesn't want to bite of it. Um, that's an interesting dynamic. So when they're both on screen together, knowing that background, that history, it, it creates a bit more uh, pressure and intensity to the scene itself. So that's, that's, that's actually good character writing. I think it's good character writing when you can have two characters that have conflicting issues in the past and they're supposed to solve a problem in front of them together. And somehow that that process of solving that problem together is going to have all sorts of complications because their past is going to come into the fray. So great work on the characterization there, all the characters. The, de the demon later assumes the form of Rose's therapist, Dr. Madeline Northcott, and attacks Rose during a therapy session, telling her that it is almost time. Later on, Rose has a vision of murdering Carl at the hospital in front of Desai, who rips the skin off his face. After spotting a knife inside an erratic Rose's car, Desai calls the police on her. So I have to I have to talk about this. These scenes, all these scenes, kind of building up. Um, this just before we get to the third act, and it might even be like during the second act, or let's say at the end of the second act. Um, this is when the director starts to introduce all sorts of like mind game stuff. You know what is reality what isn't reality what is she hallucinating what is actually happening in the real world a lot of that starts to really happen almost like halfway through the film definitely leading up to the final act and it's intense because she's having so many of these like um hallucinate um hallucinating episodes that Every time it cuts back to the re to the real world, she's kind of back at square one. Like not, none of that stuff happened. It's jarring and it's very disorientating, and it's it kind of it builds into this uh, it builds into this like this fear, this kind of scare factor that the whole movie done so well. It was pretty hard to watch. <laughs> It was really, really good. Like, what is reality? What isn't reality? What is she hallucinating? What isn't she hallucinating? It was, it was crazy. There was a lot of back and forth there. There's, there's kind of a non-linearity that happens in the film that is really well accepted. It's really well earned. And um, I found that to be one of the most, okay, not enjoyable, but, you know, one of, let's say enjoyable parts of, of the filming process and the scripting or the story. Really, really good shit all right jumping to the third act we have rose drives to her remote abandoned former family home as joel tries to attack uh joel tries to track her down planning to deprive the demon of witnesses rose rose holes holes up okay i think that's wrong uh, rose rolls up in the house where she finds the demon taking the form of her dead mother it is revealed that Rose had actually found her mother shortly before she overdosed and fearfully ignored her mother begging for help. Now this is one of the biggest, um, this is one of the biggest, tri uh, not tributes, this is one of the biggest attributes to Rose's character is that she's carrying this lifetime of trauma 
which is witnessing her her mother commit suicide. Um, but we we get it revealed at this very last uh, third act, this very last scene that um, she actually found her before she uh, before she overdosed and fearfully ignored her um, when her mother was begging for help. Um, Rose is like 11 years old. I don't know. She's super young. You're not like, wh what are you supposed to do when you're an 11 year old seeing your mother overdose? Um, or your mother before overdose and she's asking for help. Like, what do you do? Uh, Rose confronts the demon who morphs into a tall, deformed version of Rose's mother. She sets the demon on fire with the lantern, seemingly killing it and ending the curse. Rose drives to Joel's apartment and is confronted by him until she realizes the demon is taking his form. As she flees, Rose discovers that she is still at the old house just as the real Joel arrives. Everything that happened from the moment she entered the house was a hallucination. And this is the biggest... This is the biggest piece of hallucination that she's had so far, and this is the last piece of hallucination she has in the entire film. It's it's so crazy because all these hallucination episodes, they happen quite frequently. Some of them are quite short, and then they slowly build to be lengthy and lengthy and lengthy, and then by the time we get to this last point of hallucination, it's it's a long scene. It's a super long scene. So not there's not any point where I'm expecting it to be another hallucination, and I'm thinking it's going to end at this point, and I was actually ready to check out. I was ready to write to sort of say, all right, cool, I've experienced everything that Parker Finn wants us to experience, I'm happy for this film to end, let's just end it now, and it doesn't, turns out that whole thing was a hallucination, and then she goes back to the house, and it's just like, it's so stressful, ah, uh, this is the point of the film where I'm kind of thinking the, 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 the way they, the way Parker Finn describes, and sort of gives us exposition around what the truth was when she witnessed her mother asking and begging for help all of this was kind of good it sort of dragged on too long i think i think there were definitely aspects of this this uh aspects of her traumatic story could have been um cherry-picked and put throughout the film instead of lumping it all at the end because you kind of suffer for the runtime being um sort of overstaying its welcome, you know, here, because it's, it's quite a lot of information. We've already learned so much information throughout the entire film. We're learning every single scene. He doesn't waste information. It's 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 just when he gets to the end of the film where I feel like he's just dumping a lot of information that seems like he could have maybe sprinkled throughout the entire film. And it's it's quite clunky. Like I said, it's quite clunky, quite chunky, and seems a little derivative but it was still okay. It wasn't bad. It wasn't terrible. But it was uh, still okay. And I think at that point, I was quite tired of the amount of scares. <laughs> I was quite tired of the amount of like jump scares and like being in a state of stress. <laughs> I feel like I lost two years of my life watching this film. Um, so I was I was happy for it to end. But then when I get when I got back to that scene where the whole thing was actually a hallucination, oh, it was kind of crazy. I was like stressed out. <laughs> Panicking, Rose goes back into the house, locking the door behind her. The demon overpowers Rose and rips off its face, revealing its true form to her. A skinless entity with a long grin containing a sort of Russian nesting doll of grins before crawling into her mouth, possessing her. Alright, so so this this manifestation of the of the demon 
not a big fan of not a big fan of the design of it i wasn't a big fan of like the creative choices here i think this it could have the skinless entity evil entity could have looked better in the sense that it could have looked scarier i think by the time you strip it all apart it it kind of like the threat of this entity almost kind of diminished a little bit only because like aesthetically it just looked eh, whatever I think Parker Finn would have benefited a lot more from just not even showing us the demon. I think the tall morphed version of her mom was fine and sort of cutting back and forth was cool. Maybe less cutting to the actual tall demorph because it's, it's, it's far more powerful and far more impressionable when you don't really see the monster itself, but you're always petrified by the idea of the monster being around and haunting you, right? Like, that's more scary because you, you sort of, you create what that creature is going to look like in your mind. And whatever you create in your mind is always going to be the scariest version. So the fact that we got to see the skinless entity being a long grin containing a sort of like Russian nesting <laughs> doll of grins was, uh, was like, all right, whatever. Eh, doesn't quite work for me. It's not that scary by the end of it, but... Um, nonetheless, crawling into her mouth, possessing her, Joel enters the house and discovers Rose smiling and pouring gasoline over herself. Joel watches helplessly as a smiling Rose burns herself alive, passing the curse on to him. The end. Ah, so the the ending for this. I think I was okay with. I was okay with the way it ended. I mean, I'm, first of all, I'm glad that it ended. Because I was kind of tired of being stressed out and having so much anxiety and being in a state of fear. Um, the ending was okay. It wasn't as, as impactful or wasn't as powerful as the whole story itself. The, the movie performs the best throughout the entire part except for the last or the final act, unfortunately. The final act is just, it's okay. If I was to give the final act a rating compared to the rest of the film, I'd say it's like... It's kind of like a 5 out of 10 compared to the rest of the film. The rest of the film is like a, a 9 or an 8 to me. I mean, it's really good storytelling, really good suspense, really good sound design, great use of characterization and character arc building, good story, good backstories of our main protagonists, um, great characters that contribute to the whole story. It's really, really great. It's a great film. The ending is the only thing that kind of lets it down. Um, and to that effect... I give the whole film a 9 out of 10. Now, okay, that might be surprising for a lot of people. 9 out of 10 seems to be quite a lot for a horror film. But hey, I'm going to give credit where it's due. And a 9 out of 10 seems to be a fair and fitting result. Because it done this horror film done what all horror films are trying to do. Which is trying to put you in a state of fear. Like I said, horror films don't necessarily do that 100% of the time. 100% of the time. But if it can do that, if it can induce stress and anxiety, it's doing a great job. Will I see this again? Probably not, because I don't really want to be in that state anymore. However, I've seen it. I know what to expect. Maybe I can watch it. Maybe I need a few beers to watch it, and I can see... I can maybe just watch it to see how my friends would experience it if my friends are up to seeing it. Um, so, great film. Great, great film. And uh, that brings us to the end of the recap and end of the whole review and the whole podcast. 
I really hope you guys enjoyed that. I really hope you guys enjoyed the film the same way that I did. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on on Smile? Did you think it was great? Did you think it's a, a really good example or really good standard of new horror films that are coming out this or in this day and age? Um, where would you rank it um, in amongst all the other horror films that you would rank really high? I think this is a really good horror film. Definitely a good contender against Conjuring. Um, is it better than Conjuring? I'm not sure. I, I, Conjuring is actually quite um, well put together in terms of its storytelling aspect, and it's a longer film, but it really, it really maximizes on that um, that runtime for sure. Um, but yeah, great movie. I recommend it for people that love horror films. I recommend it for people that don't have uh, faint hearts and are not too sensitive to jump scares or stress and anxiety um, in the form of like evil spirits <laughs> i recommend it for those people but i don't recommend it for people who are sensitive to anxiety and stress um and dark places do not watch it i warn you do not watch it if you are not very good in dark places all right um thank you so much for listening to this uh, review um and if you really enjoy what you hear in this episode i'd consider uh, well, sorry, not consider. I'd encourage you to hit the notifications button so you know when the next episode drops. If you enjoy this kind of content, um, if you want to find us on social media, I'll leave those um, social media handles in the show notes. So check those out. There's quite a few you can click on there as well. Um, consider us, consider following us on there. Make some suggestions if there's reviews, if there's certain movies and TV series that you'd like us to review. Um, always open to hear your thoughts. Always open to hear what you would like to hear us or myself talk about um make sure you if, if you're into rings of power this is that's what we're currently reviewing at the moment as well um we're up to episode four we're going to be doing episode five we're a little bit behind but we're catching up um and if you're into that maybe you should check out those episodes as well thank you so much for joining me and uh see you next time bye